Welcome to Screen Thoughts with Hollister and O'Toole. Oh, what a night it was. And I'm afraid with you being in Florida, still without Wi-Fi, etc., you might have missed it. The Emmys 2017, what a night it was. You know, Hollister, I did miss it, but I caught some excerpts. And I have a question for you. Are the Emmy statuettes bigger than the Oscars? (laughs) They looked huge to me this year. Well, I don't know about that. But look, I mean, it was really, really, really a pivotal moment. And, you know, what a night it was, O'Toole. It was a night of Emmys that I just, I normally don't even watch. I was so grateful to not have missed it because I couldn't figure out why. And then about halfway through, I realized that the stories that were winning were stories that were women's stories. They weren't men's stories where the lead woman role was really a secondary role anyway, i.e. I went back and looked at 2016 and the lead woman role in a drama was for O.J. Simpson. And so we're talking about The Handmaid's Tale, Big Little Lies, feud. And then right at the end when... Reese Witherspoon was giving her acceptance speech for Big Little Lies winning Best Drama, and she said... It's been an incredible year for women in television. Can I just say, bring women to the front of their own stories and make them the hero of their own stories. And thank you for that opportunity and for audiences to wrap their arms around us. And everyone was just so, so excited. It was... It was really a night to behold. It was. It was an amazing thing when she and Nicole Kidman said partly they adapted the book to the screen because they just weren't getting the same kind of rich roles. This is a friendship that then created opportunities. It created opportunities out of a frustration because we weren't getting offered great roles. So now, more great roles for women, please. Thank you. It was all about women and diversity. Uh, It was the first time a woman of color won uh, for best uh, writing for a comedy. Uh, It was just, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it was just. And it was the first nomination ever. Uh, Is that right? I didn't really. Mm -hmm. You know, something else that really stood out when everybody was up on stage for Big Little Lies? Was it just me or from the still photo? Was Margaret Atwood, the author, the best dressed? (laughs) <laughs> that's, you know, that's something I, you, you know, see every day when yeah, the author's next to a Hollywood you know, cast. I hope that people stop caring what anybody's wearing. I don't know if she was best dressed. I or... loved her outfit. I think it's an artistic <laughs> statement. Yeah. Fashion really is. And I was glad that Nicole Kidman thanked Leanne Moriarty, who wrote the book, where she said it all started in a cafe in Sydney right. when she wrote that story. But Hollister, I also saw that um, you had mentioned Ann Dowd's acceptance speech for The Handmaid's Tale. It was exceptional. She was very emotional. Hello, everyone. Um, Well, I think this is a dream, you know. Um, I know it's an actor's dream, and I'm deeply grateful to you. I've been acting for um, a long time, and that this should happen now, I I don't have the words, so I thank you. And it it was a beautiful speech, really was. I do love that when you see veteran actors who've been at it for so long finally get recognition. She seemed stunned because it was such a competitive field, which again goes to show the richness of TV. But you know, she's been in three things that we've reviewed on our podcast, at least. Well, you know, she's one of those actors who you don't notice so much, but she's definitely there, you know? Well, she was in Norman... Our brand is Crisis, and then, of course, The Handmaid's uh-huh. Tale. Yeah. She's appeared in every Law & Order franchise. Yeah, well, I don't she, know how many people can say that. <laughs> she deserves every ounce of, of credit that she got. I wasn't sure about that choice, to tell you the truth. 
you know, I didn't think her role was large enough to warrant it, but um, look, more power to her. When she got up on stage, you could see that she really did transform herself into somebody that she not is is not normally. I mean, it, you know, which it was, is a good thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, it was really good. Now the other thing is Val, of course, is you know always pushing us to enter her contest for both the Academy Awards and the Emmys, and I of course enter and always lose. But and I lost. Re- I talk about big. Talk about big little lies. I lost big, big, big little nothing last night. And Val got almost every single one right. I mean, we've talked about how our listeners are so, you know, knowledgeable in the area that we're reviewing. And you go, Val. She was great. And she had this basket that the winner gets, and it had like peanut M and M's in it. And I was like all over that oh. basket, but I didn't get anything. <laughs> Oh, Val is exceptional. Yeah, she is. On a light note, I don't know if you saw this, but I just thought this was fun because I know you've posted on our social media before some of your favorite dance scenes from various movies. I have. Well, I don't know if you saw this, but you know how the NFL was taking some heat and people started calling them the No Fun League? Yeah. And so they lightened up on their rules around touchdown dances. (laughs) Because viewers love to see them. So the Wall Street Journal actually commissioned three choreographers to come up with some new touchdown dances. And I just got a kick out of them. I'm going to put a link up on our site. One of the choreographers they commissioned was the La La Land choreographer. Mandy Moore. Okay, so not like, the are, Mandy you, Moore. are you just saying that to make me feel badly? <laughs> no, it's not the Mandy Moore from This Is Us, but she is an Emmy winner. Mm-hmm. And um, so she did one based on the Charleston. I thought you'd like the dances. Funny you should bring that up because Monday night was the opening for of Dancing with the Stars and Mandy Moore, that same Mandy Moore, was choreographing uh, the opening number. And I had to laugh because I thought, what's Mandy Moore doing that <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I didn't, you know, I know she can sing, but I know she could choreograph dancing, and it's a different Mandy Moore. It's a different yeah, Mandy Moore, exactly. but this one says she does love football. Mm-hmm. Now, we had a lot of input from last week's um, last week's Home Again, so I was going to give one toward you and one toward me, being the fair-minded person that I'm not. I just decided <laughs> to rise above myself and put this out, so... On Home Again, Sue wrote in, and she said, I have to agree wholeheartedly with Hollister's take on Home Again. If Nancy Myers is Prada, Hallie's Home Again is a poor knockoff where they spelled it wrong. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yes! I was so excited. Okay, now I could have just left it there, but again, rising above my normal self. Um, I wanted to say that Sue was, is, you know, is more in my age bracket. She's over the age of 50. And then we got a, um, an email from Frances, who's 25, and she said, um, we loved it, loved the guys, loved her kids and their interaction like nothing we've ever seen. And she went with a bunch of girlfriends. I reached out to get more information. She went with a bunch of girlfriends. What's interesting is... You know, when I was her age, you know, it was when Harry met Sally, there were all kinds of rom-coms coming out, you know. And I realized that that group that's coming up in their mid-20s, they're not used to movies like that. So for her, she Mm -hmm. absolutely loved it. And she said she especially loved the relationship between Reese Witherspoon and her children. She said they could Mm -hmm. not stop laughing. 
And they just, you know, danced all the way home. So she loved it. How are we feeling? First day, new school, are you nervous? I'm feeling exhausted, hopeless, and I don't enjoy the things that I once loved. Where are you getting this from? The Zolash commercial, obviously. We also got a message from Anne from Virginia, and she sent us a link, which I'm going to put up on our social media, to apartmenttherapy.com, <laughs> ranking the best Nancy Myers sets. And Anne says Nancy Myers kitchens will always be the best. Well, there you go. It's a little bit like real estate fashion. Well, I think what's interesting is um, our gender may be divided by age in terms of how they're going to mm-hmm. be approaching films moving forward. Interesting. Just saying. Yeah, I, I do feel like Hallie is next generation Nancy Myers. <laughs> It could be, could be. Well, she, they didn't have any problems with any of the things I had trouble with. But yet, Sue, from my generation, felt exactly the same way I did. So I don't know. A little of you and a little of me, you know, it's there you go. Well, so I love how Sue worded her, her, her little comment there. I thought it was very <laughs> it's clever. very witty. You don't think that's clever? Very clever. I know. I don't agree with it, but I think I it's very exactly clever. I knew exactly what she meant. I totally agreed with her. So anyway, mm-hmm. okay. I, I don't know how we even introduce what's next. But tell you what, you give it a shot. And all I can say is I did get a text from, from O'Toole <laughs> yesterday, you guys, saying, um, not sure how I'm feeling about it, but heading off to see Mother. And I texted her back and said, I saw it. Maybe I'll hear from you tomorrow. Maybe I won't. <laughs> So how about you do an intro? You know, this is what I have to say in terms of how I was trying to gear myself up to go see this movie. I thought, okay, I've never yet seen a Darren Aronofsky film. I skipped Black Swan. I skipped The Wrestler. I never saw Pi. So I thought, you know, maybe it's just time I bit the bullet. And then I thought, well, I am kind of a sucker for a movie title with punctuation in it. And it did have that little exclamation point, mother. But, you know, I got to say, when it comes to this movie... Wait, it had an exclamation point. I the... have to interrupt you there. It had an exclamation uh-huh. point, but the M was was small case, not tall case. But that's not punctuation. Well, if you don't think that's a capitalization is punctuation, of course it is. You know, I'm thinking more of like... In a world, dot, 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 okay. by Lake Bell, okay. you know? Okay. <laughs> but when it comes to all the occluded comments about this movie and the unusual marketing behind it, I think, you know, as they may or may not say in Texas, this movie was really all hype and no cattle. It's interesting <laughs> that you say that. I, here's my problem, is I, the entire time I'm watching this movie, Mother, I'm. I have not read anything about it. Um, I didn't love the trailer. It just looked sort of strange to me, and mm-hmm. I felt stupid. Like, okay, I know there's a point here. I just totally it's going right over my head. <laughs> I need a graduate degree in something or other to be able to get it. And then when I left and I actually started reading about it, I was like, oh my god, it actually is. This movie is one of the things where I believe we we try not to do this, but I think we have to do. Sp- you know, plot spoilers in this particular review. So if you don't want to understand the nuances of what's behind it, there's no point in discussing the movie if you can't. 
And so you shouldn't listen any further. But I also think from my perspective, if I had understood some of these things before I went, I probably would have gotten more out of the movie. So, But Hollister, I totally agree with you. They're not plot spoilers. They're more like plot enhancers. Well, how about, you but, know, deciphering a language that you have no way of, of knowing? I mean, this it was in a foreign language that I didn't know, and I don't think anybody else knows. The bottom line is this. Aronofsky is trying to explain how, quote, Mother Earth is being ruined by all of us. And so... Uh, I I will also start with ending. You know how how you always love to watch the um, the credits at the end, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So did you notice the big element there? Besides the protozoa productions? No, not the protozoa productions. There there you know there nobody's name was up there, so there was mother. All of them were lowercase, and the only one that was um, uppercase was him, and he was supposed to be God. So her husband is supposed oh. to be God and the rest of it, you know, as she uh, is this innocence who, who, who nurtures mother earth into a beautiful, beautiful home for the world to attend. And then what happens is this, this heart and love of the earth is broken and shattered when this uh, crystal is shattered. And what ensues is the kind of chaos and um, devastation that, he thinks we're doing to our own, uh, our own earth. So when you look at it from that perspective, then it does become much more interesting. You know, when she's begging people, please don't sit on the sink, it's going to fall. And, you know, please don't do this. And what are you doing? And her shock and, and awe. The one thing I will say is Jennifer Lawrence has great depth in her acting because to pull out that role, I thought was was very, very difficult, and I think she did a really good job. What about you? Well, Hollister, I have to say this. I did know all that going into it because I had read about the film's premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival last week where Darren Aronofsky actually stood up and apologized before the screening saying, sorry for what I'm about to do to you. <laughs> and I knew he had referred to his own movie before as, quote, an assault and, quote, a cruise missile shooting into a wall. It's a very strange film, and it's confusing because ultimately it's, it's a horror film in the most kind of intense, shocking way, but it's also got Jennifer Lawrence and Javier Bardem and Michelle Pfeiffer and Ed Harris, and that makes you think, oh, it could never be this crazy of a movie. So I think it started off, I wanted to make something scary and very tense for audiences, and I had the idea of doing a home invasion film because I thought it was a type of fear that everyone can understand. People you know, know how scary it is or how uncomfortable it is when you have someone come over your house that just won't leave. So it started with that, and then I thought that there was this bigger idea going on about not just talking about um, our home, you know, your individual home, but like the home of our planet and trying to say what it must feel like to be the mother of all of us, Mother Nature, and to have all of these people coming in and taking over your planet. And even being aware of the symbolism that he was going for, I felt like it was a very heavy-handed allegory delivered via a selfie stick attached to Jennifer Lawrence's head because there are so many close-ups of hers throughout. (laughs) So I can't say I was scared watching this movie. So if people are expecting that in terms of a horror movie, Jennifer Lawrence has said, you know, they keep saying horror, but it's really just a horrifying topic. But I was just bored and irritated. Hmm. Irritated, huh? 
Mm-hmm. You go, girl. I, I never wanted... know you to be irritated. I was irritated. Wait, did you move I was in watching your seat? the movie. I've never seen her move in her seat, everyone. Did you move in your seat? I was getting very antsy. Oh. I thought, I just lost two hours and one minute of my yeah, life. And long, I applaud Darren Aronofsky for being an environmentalist. I applaud him for wanting to make a movie about Mother Nature. I got it when Javier Bardem kept calling her my goddess, you know. But I'd rather watch a documentary about the planet on the Discovery Channel, hmm. <laughs> you know, when it comes down to it. I, I think Irma was scarier uh, than Mother. And also, he did it all from handheld cameras, so he wasn't able to pan out the way normally happens. So we're constantly seeing it from her point of view or just behind her point of view or her face watching it or, you know, so... And so he used a handheld camera throughout the entire uh, filming, which I thought was done extremely well. And also, interestingly, he shot it in 16 millimeter, I believe. Now, I could be wrong on that, so we'll have to check. But he he shot it in uh, in a way that we don't shoot anymore. And so I thought the richness of the texture of the imagery and the cinematography was beautiful. And I thought the house was... I thought the house was fabulous. I loved the house. We spend all our time here. I want to make a paradise. She redid all of it. Every last detail. And she breathed life back into every room. It's so funny. I thought the house was creepy. So I know here she <laughs> was. was. Jennifer creepy. Lawrence was dedicating herself to fixing up this house, but it just seemed so dark. I wanted to turn the lights on. But again, what Darren Aronofsky had to say about the symbolism, I thought was more interesting than the viewing experience. So for example, he said that some Victorian homes, as this one was, were built in octagons because at the time, scientists believed it was the perfect shape for the brain. And he liked the idea that the number eight, like the octagon, signifies resurrection and regeneration Mm. in the Bible. Mm. So he said it also offered a perk in terms of the cinematography. He said when they shot through a doorway, they weren't looking at a flat wall. You're looking at a diagonal wall. So it added depth and it made things more interesting. Yeah, no, I, and I, that I kind of it. commentary yeah. I found very interesting. Well, it was funny it's just... because I loved I loved the rooms, but what they were missing is any form of color and anything alive. Mm-hmm. So there were there wasn't a flower yep. to be found or or you know pictures in frames or anything that brought any of the rooms to life, which I thought was again odd because he kept saying that she had built this great earth and then it was destroyed after um, after the love was gone, you know. So, I but I thought the house was interesting, and I, I thought the kitchen was interesting, and I loved the sink. <laughs> but now, what did you think about the script? Um, well, I think for what he was trying to do, it made sense. The script, you know. Um, but at the time that I was watching it, I thought, I don't. Where, where are we going with this? And we never went anywhere. So it was like this circular circular thing of going around and around in circles, but not really ending up anywhere. So, I mean, there's not a lot of dialogue, but if I were going to invent a new drinking game, I would say you would have to drink every time you hear any of these three lines. Excuse me? You have to leave, or what's happening? Why don't you want kids? Excuse me? (laughs) I swear. Each of those sentences, it's just rinse and repeat. But they all make sense with what he was trying to, to convey. So, But they're not original. So in terms of the level of commentary, the niveau of that is so high, I wish the dialogue had been equally rich. Mm-hmm. 
But I will tell you one thing that I thought really stood out in the movie, in a good way. Um, it's somebody's performance. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely Okay, right. and it's a woman. Okay. Michelle Pfeiffer. Hello. Hello. Did you know he had a wife? She was terrific. Yeah, she was. And again, she comes in, it's the interloper plot. She comes in, she's in act two, and then she doesn't return. And I really missed her going, she brought a lot to this yeah. movie. It was a very different role for Michelle Pfeiffer. And I wondered while she was making it, if she felt like she was back in some kind of redux of what lies beneath the movie she did with Harrison Ford. Yeah. I think also though, some of the scenes that he set up, like the childbirth scene, I thought was brilliant. Never seen it done and, that way. I thought it was really, really well done. And tell me more. Brilliant in what way? I think even Jennifer Lawrence's juxtaposition in the room, her fierceness in trying to stay awake, and her stare-downs with him, and his stare-down back at her, I thought, I thought they were beautifully done, and especially because you're talking about a handheld camera that's going back and forth from face to face. I, th- I thought it was really, really, really well done. Well, I love Javier Bardem, but in this role, I thought he was cartoonishly reptilian because they didn't give him believable dialogue or actions. So he does several things in this film where the people at my screening groaned, you know, and I know it's a heavy handed allegory. Yep. Um, For example, the fact that he invites in Ed Harris, the inciting incident. He's a stranger. We're just going to let him sleep in our house. He has pictures of you in his luggage. What were you doing in their luggage? And then after the plot point with Donald Gleason and his real-life brother, Breen Gleason. Wait, is that, is, that, is that a problem that he well, asked them to stay? I figured you would know what I'm alluding to where I really don't want to give away any more plot in this because there's not a lot to be had. So if you are going to sit through the two hours and one minute. But then the next batch of people he invites back to the house, I was like... Really? All I'm trying to do is bring life into this house. Open the door to new people, new ideas. I'm so sorry. Get out of my house! Yeah! But that, but he is supposed to be God, and God leaves no one out. I don't think God would be that cruel, and I don't think God would turn his back on Mother Nature. Oh, I think God has turned its back. If there is a God, God's turned its back on a lot of things, and God is often perceived as being cruel when there's a bigger picture. When he says, how can I turn them away? I mean, that's exactly something that's written in the Bible. You know, you turn no one away no matter what. And so, I I don't know. I thought it was, once I understood who he was, then it all made better sense because his decisions didn't make a lot of sense in the movie until you recognize that if you think about it, that's exactly what God would have done. But then how do you explain the ending? Because it seems like God also would have smited some sinners. And here he just seems like the vainglorious artist. I think what he's saying, Aronofsky is saying, is that it's not going to be a good ending. Like we've taken, as when love is shattered in the universe, and when love is shattered, then, you know, apocalypse happens and it'll be the end of the world. Well, see, that's why, and again, okay, stop listening if you really want any kind of plot. That's why I thought the movie would stop with the conflagration. (laughs) But instead, the very end of the movie, how do you interpret that? Because they try again. You know, so, uh, you know, first of all, there are people who believe that the world has 
has died before and come back. I mean, I, I don't really know what I think about that aspect of it, but if I look at what Aronofsky was trying to say and who he made all these individuals, then it does to me make better sense. And yet that's the part I didn't get because I thought, okay, I understand all the symbolism about how we're destroying nature and how he was inspired by the book, The Giving Tree by Shel mm-hmm. Silverstein, which I always loved. But then in the end where you have this fungible nature to Jennifer Lawrence's character where she's just replaced. I thought, okay, so you can destroy Mother Earth and just get a whole nother one to toy with? That didn't seem right. Well, if God is as as big as he is perceived to be, then he get he'll try again. You know, if and just if the people on again. Earth totally destroy Earth and God's still there, then he'll start all over again, which is exactly what happens. He takes her heart out and starts again with the crystal and rebuilds and gives everybody another chance to get it right. And, but what, so you know, I mean, look, you know, we can debate all along whether he made the point or not. I got the point. Once I understood what he was trying to do, that's why I think it's almost worth being spoiled here before you go, because... I think with that understanding, I think things unfold in a more interesting way. But here's my question for you. Ready? Mm-hmm. Why did Jennifer Lawrence take this role other than she wanted to date him? Well, Eva, <laughs> I don't know that that's why she took the role. Here's what she had to say about it. I just think he's such an original. Um, there's no one really like him. His ideas are so unique. So when I heard he had something, I, I wanted to meet with him right away. And he didn't have a script. He just had these ideas floating in his head. And then, you know, in five days, he wrote it. And um, I read the script. I threw it across the room. I told him he had severe psychological problems, but it's a masterpiece. I, I, I said yes before I read the script. I think she took it because it gave her a lot of screen time with little dialogue so she could show a range of emotions. She's very good. But I don't know why anybody would want to play that role. It's very dark. Oh. And, you know, he's someone who likes to dwell in darkness. And I remember reading Ellen Burstyn's memoir, and she has starred in two of Darren Aronofsky's films, Requiem for a Dream and also The Fountain. And she herself has said to this day, she doesn't know what The Fountain was really about. (laughs) But in her memoir, she said when she got the script for Requiem for a Dream, she thought, I don't know if I can handle this. It's so dark. And she wasn't sure she could make it back up to the light after finishing. And this is from an actress who was in The Exorcist being stalked on set by her bipolar husband where people died during the filming. I thought, okay, if she wasn't sure she could handle it, these are definitely some very challenging roles for his actors, but a huge percentage of his stars go on to either get nominated for Oscars or win Oh, this is definitely, I mean, whether whether the Academy likes it or not, and again, you know, I have very little respect for that entire institution, um, but... But whether they like it or not, it's going to be irrelevant to the fact that her performance, nobody's put through that kind of grueling, you know, rigor. But it's funny, I couldn't help but think of her in The Hunger Games, the first um, episode of The Hunger Games, she said, I saw her in an interview long ago, when she said, I had no idea when I read this script that 80% of the time she's running. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And... At the end of the shoot, I was totally wiped out and exhausted because I had no idea it was so physical. And 
here we are again with what I consider to be a highly physical and emotionally draining role. So, and she's an upbeat, happy girl. Did you see where she tore her diaphragm while filming? What? I mean, this one was pretty grueling. She said it was too much. You know, she doesn't think she could ever do another part like this. But Darren Aronofsky had nothing but praise for her. And he said, unlike any other actor he's, he's ever worked with. He's sleeping with her. What's he going to say? She was awful? Still, I mean, look at Arthur Miller and Marilyn Monroe. You know, he did not have many nice things to say about her. But he said she can pop in and out of this role you know, like nobody's business. And he said to go from just being light joke around on the set, Jennifer Lawrence, into this traumatized mother nature was unbelievable. Mm -hmm. So what they did was they set up a space for her on set where she could go off and watch Keeping Up with the Kardashians and listen to Bruce Springsteen's Santa Claus is Coming to Town just to kind of self-medicate before she had to go back and finish the oh, scene. T- uh, tough, t- it was tough. I mean, it tough, 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 tough. But tough. he also said she's an autodidact. I had no idea that Jennifer Lawrence has never had an acting class. Oh, yeah, yes, you did. You knew that. I don't she think She talks about it often, actually. You know, I can't say I've tuned into a lot of her... Oh interviews. Yeah. Um, I have. I think she's an interesting character. I mean, I, I, I'm i not saying I'm a fan. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to say that I'm a fan, but I certainly appreciate her now after this. I mean, the girl's got chops. That's all there is to it. And then she's got another movie coming out shortly too, where mm-hmm. it looks like another sort of, you know, raging performance of, of, uh, of, you know, stressful stuff that needs to happen. So good for her. You go, Jennifer, you go. What did it cost to do this? Do you know? Do you know what the cost was? It was a lot less than Noah, but it was a tricky shoot. I mean, it's a one-set location, but they said what was really expensive was all the extras, because especially in that third act, that's a lot of choreography. But Jennifer Lawrence was asked at the Venice Film Festival, as was the whole cast, if they ever felt cannibalized by fame, because a lot of people have also said the movie's about false idolship. And Darren Aronofsky said that wasn't necessarily his intent, but he's thrilled with whatever layers people are reading into it. And he's the kind of director, he said he doesn't really care if people like his movies or not. He just doesn't want them to be indifferent. Yeah, you know, well, if they love it or hate it, at least he can say. Yeah, nobody's been indifferent around this, that's for sure. <laughs> but, you know, Hollister, let me ask you this. When I was going in, I was warned by the person you know, passing out the tickets saying, we just wanted to warn you, there's a very graphic scene they said that in this movie. In. Uh-huh. Yep. So I said, well, do you know how far into the movie it is? And they said, no, we've just been told to tell everybody there's a very graphic scene. Hmm. And the whole time I was Which sitting there, I thought, well, they at least referring to? <laughs> I wasn't sure. And at least that gave me something to think about as I was waiting for plot or dialogue uh-huh. or something other than the allegory. Uh-huh. So you're not, you're not sure either. There wasn't no, one standout. I can't imagine which it was, but. Okay. Yeah. That makes me feel better. I knew then what I know now. I wouldn't go. Yeah, I just so you know. I mean, <laughs> would have been the wise but by decision. the way, I recommend it. <laughs> Is that possible? You do? Yes, I do. I do because really, yeah. I'm, in other words, it's one of those things where, God, if I knew how difficult the experience would be, I wouldn't have done it. But now that I've done it, I'm glad that I did. I think the guy is really smart, you know. But I definitely, if I knew what I was going to experience, I wouldn't have gone. Again. 
it's not a jumpy movie that is like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I think Darren Aronofsky, you know, maybe he should start drinking a little bit of chamomile tea before well, he maybe goes being with to her bed is lighten the load a to little spare bit these yeah. fever dreams. But, you know, I think in terms of Mother Nature and saving our planet, I would rather spend two hours going out and tilling soil or planting a tree or doing something other than just watching the celluloid story. Well, so that just, I, I don't know that we've helped anybody decide whether to go or not, but that's all I have to say about it. So, and now we're get, we're going to move on, right, to other things, and which is our list of six, which is a little creepy too. <laughs> So go ahead, tell the peeps what you what you decided you wanted the yes. list of six well, to be. In honor of mother, okay. I thought we could do six scenes. Exactly, six scenes that made us gasp. And Hollister, you just shocked me, as you always do, when you said there's never been a movie that has made you gasp. I'm a gasp. I'm not a gasper. No. See, gasping kind of requires punctuation. So we decided to scale it back to the six scariest scenes we've ever seen. Right. Do you want to lead us off? Okay, well, don't laugh because you okay, already you know. you always do this. You have to stop introducing the films that you choose as if I'm not going to like them. First of all, no one cares whether I like them or not. And number two, you have to own your choices. So go ahead, tell us the choice. Well, no, I still need to give a little caveat that I know there are far scarier scenes out there, but I don't go to those movies. I know you don't. Because I know I'm going to be scared. Which is why I was sort of surprised you know? that you came up with this. But go ahead. What is it? But again, this movie that didn't scare me. It's a horrifying allegory, but it's not a horror movie, in my opinion. Okay, the first one, I'm going to go with a TV show. Okay. I'm going to go with Melrose Place, huh. the original, not the remake. And I'm going to go with Marsha Cross from Desperate Housewives as Dr. Kimberly Shaw. That scene where she pulled off her hair and no one knew that she could pull off her hair and revealed that scar on top of her head, that scene haunts me to this day. Okay. Did you never watch Melrose Place? I was going to say, if you'd ever seen Melrose Place right now, you might even rise to the level of a gasp. Okay. Well, you know, we'll have to see what people think, but that you're entitled to your choice. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to start with Jaws, and I'm going to start... Now, which part of Jaws, you might ask? I'm going to start with the part where the girl is swimming at night, and she gets dragged under. You've swum in those waters, haven't you? Oh, yeah, many times, you know. And, Before but I'm not a big Jaws. ocean swimmer at night. I'm not any... I mean, I like to see where I am, and I don't swim in murky... Oh, I, I like the Caribbean, <laughs> shall we? <laughs> now, did that movie put you off ocean swimming for a no, bit, or it no? Didn't put, no, it didn't put me off anything, but there were moments in Jaws... I think it had one of some of the scariest moments ever because they were so realistic. And also for its time, that, you know, mother shark was, you know, really, really a frightening thing. So okay. So what's your next one? The first scene to ever give me nightmares. Okay. Wait, are you sharing and a personal anecdote here? Not really, <laughs> but it's the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, huh. That scene where she rides her bicycle through the I air. I honestly, her. I <laughs> slept with one. <laughs> Slept with one eye open yeah. in my sleeping bag after watching that scene. I, I remember mm-hmm. my sister crying, and I was like, "No, she's really cool. You know, I really like that." <laughs> I also, I mean, I like those, you know, whatever. I like what, those guys. What was that? Do you know what I mean? I don't remember what they're called, but whatever the they were on, it was. Uh, remember? Do you know what? No, but I have the feeling I'm gonna have another nightmare. <laughs> Well, they were like, they were like, they were the goons who were like protecting her. And whenever they were on, there was that music. That music. Okay. 
Okay, moving on. You know, this is right up my alley, actually. Okay, so I had to search. This is why you've never I, gasped, and I can I know, hyperventilate I just no thinking about the trailer. You have no judgment of me, I understand. <laughs> okay, so my second choice is Silence of the Lambs when the night vision goggles go on. Oh. You know, you've seen that movie so many no, times, I forget that it might have ever had an did, effect but on the you. The first time when those night vision goggles go on, I was scared out of my gourd. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I'm. Are yeah. you judging my my choice here? You no, not went at all. to place. I mean, really. No. Okay. No, that's 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 the only thing I said is you've okay. seen it so many times. Okay, I forget you, you ever had yeah, a first time exactly. where you were scared. Okay. Mm-hmm. And what what's your next one? Okay, for my last one, I felt the need to go classic scary. So not that I've seen the movie, but I have seen the scene, so I figured it counts. You know, I know my threshold limits. It's from Misery. The hobbling scene. God's sake! It's for the best. Hey, please! Hey. Almost done. Just one more. God, I love you. I've never seen Misery, but apparently I should because it's pretty creepy. Did you also notice that misery is not unlike the plot of Mother? You have a writer trapped in a home with a fan who's gone off the deep end. Well, since I didn't see it, I can't really say, but I believe you. Of course, it's the role that made Kathy Bates. Uh. But the reason I chose it, I find this super interesting. William Goldman, he wrote the screenplay for Misery. He adapted Stephen King's novel. And he wanted to show it in full force because it was brutal, apparently, in the Mm. book where I don't think she just cuts off his foot with an axe. I think she blowtorches it. So in his original script, he left it all in because that's the age-old rule of screenwriting, right? Show, don't tell. And the executive said, that's too much. And he's like, really? And he goes, yeah, for the big screen, that's too much. You can't show what they describe in the book. And I thought, okay, if the studio execs had to dial it back, it must be a bona fide scary scene. It's, yes. Sounds Mm -hmm. really gross, actually. I'm glad I'm not the only one with limits. All right, well, I'm going to end us up here with Wait Until Dark, which um, was from 1967. Audrey Hepburn plays a woman who's recently gone blind. So she's not comfortable being blind yet, and all her senses are not where they need to be. But anyway, she has this doll, and these three thugs think that the doll is filled with heroin, and they break into her apartment to get the doll, and it is so frightening. Get behind the door, and you back there. Stay dead still. She's alone. Don't breathe. Maybe it was my age or whatever, but I had just moved to New York City when it came out, and it takes place in New York City, and it was this random thing where she would have no way of knowing that these guys were, were oh, Sam? it's just awful. It was just frighteningly awful because she can't see Sam, anything, but here? you can see everything that she can't see, and you're just waiting for it all to happen. And one of the f- most frightening movies I've ever seen. Wow. So wait until dark. So, you know, O'Toole, can you wait until dark? Yeah, I'm going to wait until dark, and then I'm going to do a little ocean <laughs> swimming. Yeah, and then did you wait until dark for Mother? And right. Also, I think it's that, you know, by the way, I do want to end by saying, and I know you're going to think this is really creepy, but I think they should have released it on Mother's Day. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Over and out. Bye-bye, O'Toole. That's hilarious. (laughs) 